today we have a special, special friend with us, Kathy McGibbon. She's a survivor. She's an advocate. She's a playwright. Mary and I actually met Kathy just about a month or two ago when we were all speaking together on a panel in Texas for a film festival that had a lot of focus on anti-human trafficking and we really just adored Kathy and we felt like she had so much wisdom to share and just her own story would be so inspiring to many of you. And so that's why we're having her with us today. She's from Houston and she's out saving the world down there. But Kathy, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to join. Good. So excited. Thank you. I'm glad you could carve out some time to be with us. So I guess I just wanted to start out with if you could just share some of your story and then we can unpack from there. But I know your story is super inspiring and just where that has kind of brought you into becoming an advocate and a playwright and so involved in the arts. But it started out from something really, really hard. And if you could just kind of take your time and, and share that with us, that would be really cool. Sure. So I always like to give a little bit of back history, you know, like my upbringing. Um, and so I was raised in Canada. I was born in Canada and um, spent most of my adolescent years there. Wonderful family. I was in a divorced home. My father did leave the home, but my mother was fabulous. Like we were surrounded by love, support, my family, my extended family, my cousins. So I had a really good upbringing mm -hmm. and um, it was great. And my memories of my father were not horrible. They were great. Okay. Moved to Houston, Texas when I was about 14 years old. And it was kind of traumatic for me leaving all of my friends and coming to a new place. But even then, I kind of just jumped, dived in. I loved community service, even at a young age. I love serving people, and I've always just been like a people person and just serving, meeting the needs of others. And so throughout high school, that's kind of just what I did. I dove into community projects and church projects. I was really connected to church, um, sang on the choir, and just all those things, ROTC, mm. everything. And so throughout high school, um, I, I just, I had a wonderful upbringing. I just did. I had a wonderful time throughout high school and I just found my niche, you know, which is like, okay, serving people. Um, you know, I had some insecurities throughout high school, but nothing that was too, nothing that I thought would be like a red flag or anything that I didn't, think, I didn't feel depressed or anything like that. So um, when I graduated from high school, I, and I had some relationships throughout high school, you know, like just regular teenage stuff. Um, but when I graduated from high school, I met this guy. I was introduced to this guy through a mutual friend. He was really like kind of famous in Houston. Um, he was connected to all the right people in Houston. He was a part of the, he was in the music industry. He okay. was a singer. Uh -huh. She's like, hey, you know, I met these guys, come to this, come hang out. They want, they invited us backstage to their shows and you know, and at first I was, you know, I was in school, um, I was in college and I was very busy at the time, mm -hmm. but I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try. So I remember, I actually remember the first day that I agreed to go out with my friends and meet these guys. And it was such a cool experience. You know, we were at the studio hanging out and yeah. it was his friends and, you know, they were singing and it was just so fascinating to me because I've never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know, like I said, throughout high school, I didn't know that I had the insecurities that I had. Okay. But when I started, when they started paying attention to it, I realized how much I liked it. Uh -huh. I sure. was like, oh, you know, yeah. these guys, they're well known and, you know, and they're paying attention to us. Mm. Well, the main guy, he kind of singled me out 
and um, he was like the leader. And that made me feel even more wanted. Yeah, special. <laughs> more, you know yeah. what I mean? Valuable, special. I was right. like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, I was quiet throughout high school. I was kind of, you know, stay in my lane, like I told you. ROTC, little, you know, nerd, <laughs> kind of doing my thing. But um, so then to have this, someone of this caliber, mm-hmm. say that he was attracted to me, it meant everything. And that's when the insecurities, you know, really started rearing their heads. I was just goo-goo, gaga over this guy. Yeah. And um, first it started, like I told you, I was introduced through mutual friends. And so it started like all of us, like all the girls would hang out with all these guys, like this band, right? Yeah, And then I noticed over time, a few months down the line, it was just me. He would only request that I come. Okay. And so it was, it was kind of weird. It was mm-hmm. kind of strange. But then again, you know, I thought that it was like, okay, well, he just really likes me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started to spend a lot of personal time together. And throughout, this took a year. And throughout that year, this individual took so much time to know me. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to know my favorite food, my favorite color. He wanted to know about my family. He wanted to know about my history. He wanted to know about my goals and aspirations, my dreams, my dislikes, my likes, mm. everything. Mm. And, you know, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like love, right? Yeah. And so I literally, I fell in love with this guy sure. thinking that he was in love with me. Mm. And that took a year and a year of hanging out and, you know, bonding, what I thought was bonding. Um, at the end of that year, he was like, you know, you are so smart. You're beautiful. Um, I can really use you on my team. You know, I want to build an umpire together and I want you, I want to build it with you. I want to build a life with you. Mm -hmm. I was already in love and I was already like under his wing. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even noticed that he successfully managed to create a divide between my mother and I, my family and I. And my friends and I, mm-hmm. I didn't know, I hadn't even noticed that I was isolated, you know, that okay. I kind of, Hey, I can't go hang out with you guys. Cause I have to go see him. Mm-hmm. Everything became him. It was all about him. Mm-hmm. And so I missed that. I missed the fact that, Oh my goodness, he successfully, you know, took me away from what I knew was normal. And I literally, he literally became my world. Mm. Would he get so mad and angry at you if you wouldn't? Like if you would choose someone over him or was it more just you, he helped you become obsessed in a way? He helped me become obsessed. And it wasn't until I, you know, after the year I looked back and he did have signs of aggression. And so, Mm -hmm. but I, again, I thought it was just love. So when he, yeah, he used to get upset. So when, when I would choose to, you know, hang out with someone else, he would, you know, like, hey, no, I told you you need to be here. And I would it literally just drop everything and go there. Uh-huh. Or, you know, you took, I, I haven't heard from you all day long. Why haven't I heard from you? You know, like just really obsessive and control of behavior. What I saw, though, was he really cares. He really wants to know where I am. We're in a real relationship. Yeah. Didn't see anything to be wrong with that type of behavior. The fact that he needed to know where I was every minute of the day. The fact that I could even sit beside a male individual, one of his friends, I couldn't even sit beside them. He would call me if we were in a, you know, the same setting, he would call me over and stand beside him or sit beside him. if I was too close to any other individuals. Oh, wow. Okay. This and so it was like, Oh, okay. But still yeah. I didn't, I couldn't identify that as bad behavior. And so at the end of the year, he, he proposed, you know, like, Hey, I want you to come with me. I'm about to start 
my record label and I need you to join my team. I want you to, me and you, we're going to do this together. And naturally, I believed him because he had all the evidence. Like I said, he was already in the music industry. Yeah. He was already, he already had the right people. He had, he had the money. He had people, you know, doing runs. It was kind of like, getting him what he why did. wouldn't you believe him? Like all the proof was right there in front of you. It was right there. And so, and he thought he'd always talked about, you know, starting his label. So when he finally said, okay, I'm going to do it and I need you with me, it was like, okay. And so what he's, you know, and we lived in Houston and um, he said, I need to go to Dallas for three months. We need to go to Dallas for three months because I have some investors down there mm-hmm. and they're going to help us start this company. But we only need to go for three months, do some work with them, build some relationships, and then we're going to come back to Houston and we're going to launch and you are going to have the best life ever. You'll never have to want for anything. You'll never need anything. You'll be able to take care of you and your family. Trust me, our life is going to be beautiful. And I believe him. Mm. I, I, I totally believe him. Now, one part that I am leaving out that is very important is the fact that I had children. I had a baby mm. out of high school, mm. um, high school sweetheart mm. <laughs> kind of thing. And so okay. after school for me, after high school for me was very important, which is why I dove back into college because my mother was very supportive. She was like, hey, this happens. It's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's keep on going. Yeah. So that was always my mentality because I had the support system. Right. And right. so dove right back into school and I was working hard and I was doing everything that I needed to do. So when this guy came along and really distracted me, you know, it, it, it kind of threw me off a little bit because that's what caused the divide between me and my mother and I. Mm-hmm. I was starting to neglect my classes and she was like, what are you doing? Like, you have a whole, you understand that you're a mother. Mm-hmm. And because she said that, and he knew that, he also used that against me. So yeah. when he proposed the idea, he was very strategic. He was like, you need to take care of your children the way you need to take care of your children, not the way your mom wants you to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to help you do that. Mm-hmm. You need to do this for your kids. Mm-hmm. And so what, what young girl who's trying to raise kids and be successful wouldn't take that offer from the love of her life? Oh, yeah. And I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally did. And the night that we were to leave, um, I had some hesitations also because of my children. So he provided a babysitter. I was like, okay, I can't leave for three months. Who's going to take care? He literally pulled out lots of money and was like, pick your best friend, the closest to you. Who do you trust with your children? Give them this. They'll be fine for three months. Wow. You can, wow. Come back and, you can always come back and check on them. You can always call them. You're not going to be far. We're living because Dallas, from Houston to Dallas, is literally like a three to four hour drive. It's mm-hmm. not far. So it's like you're not moving. We're just, we, you're doing this for your children. So when he, he paid in advance for one of my friends to pretty much be a nanny, a full time nanny wow. for my children mm-hmm. while we went to go start this business in Dallas. Yeah, that's super important because that was, you know, um, any mother, you know, you you say anything about their children and you got them hooked. And so I was already in love with this guy and then he wants to take care of my children and he's providing a way like this is amazing. Yeah, you're seeing like a future in front of you and it's now or never. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now or never with the one that I love. And so... Um, the night that we were going to leave, that we were supposed to leave, I, I got this feeling over me. I knew, I knew it was God. Now I know it was God. But 
it was just a feeling like happy, but I ignored it because I was like, okay, this has got to, it's just, I'm just a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> this is this my nerves, you know, it's fine. I'm going to be four hours away. It's not a big deal. I can come back when I want. Um, but I, and so I left and now I know that that was a warning <laughs> mm. and I probably should have listened to that small voice within me, but Left that night, got to Dallas. When I walked into the hotel room where we, were to, where we were to be staying, that's when I finally knew and I saw for myself that my life had changed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, this charming, wonderful individual that I fell in love with turned into a monster. Mm-hmm. He immediately got violent. Mm-hmm. There were other women there. Mm-hmm. There were men there that I didn't know. And none of them looked happy. It was very scary. And I just knew that, okay, this is it. Like, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. But throughout that year as well, he, um, I didn't have my own phone. He paid my phone bill. He got me a phone, paid my phone bill, which was another sign of, oh, he loves me. Because <laughs> oh, he's yeah. actually, like, taking the time to pay my bills. Yeah. Um, I didn't have my own phone. I didn't have anything. I left with the clothes. I left with a little small bag. Um packed with a few clothes and the, the clothes on my back. Mm-hmm. So when I walked into the hotel room, many could question easily, well, why didn't you just leave? If you, you knew that you walked into a bad situation, why didn't you just leave? Well, I couldn't because this man had brainwashed me sure. and he had taken control of my entire life. Yeah. So yeah. I remember that he introduced me, that night he introduced me to another young lady um, who was his bottom and he's like okay well just follow her she's going to teach you everything about the game the business and i was like what oh what does that mean yeah. like what do you what business what what do i what, what is going on yeah um and she was really mean at first too. she was also abusive um and she was, you know she was angry that she even had to take time to teach me quote unquote and so she's the one that actually revealed to me like you know you know this is what you're going to be doing right Oh, and he kind of, you know, he was in the corner just laughing while she was talking. I'm like, yep. Mm. Um, and literally the very next morning, uh, we went to the store, the mall, and she got me some clothes or she threw me some clothes or whatever. And I was ordered to put, put on some lingerie and they took pictures. And the next thing I know, we have clients coming in and out of the room. Wow. So my instructions were just to do what, do as you're told um, and you'll be all right. Do as you're told, and you'll be fine. Mm. Um, and I remember very distinctly, he pulled me to the side, and he's like, Kathy, you know, this is not your life. You know I want better. This is just something that we're going to do temporarily. Don't worry. I'm going to keep you. That's why I'm keeping you in the room. The guys are coming, yes. The men are coming. The clients are coming. But I'm keeping you in the room where I can watch you because you mean a lot to me. Oh, man. Awful. Ironically, I thought... Still, like, oh, okay, <laughs> he still cares at least. Yeah, he's you know, gonna protect not, me, maybe. He's gonna, he's gonna protect me, maybe. You know, and um, you know, that only lasted for a little while. Eventually, he said the money was coming in too slow, and I was gonna have to go on the street. Mm, my goodness. That's when I freaked out. That's when I, I became super, super numb. 
I didn't even want to look myself in the mirror because I didn't know what it happened so fast. I couldn't even tell you the process, sure. how yeah. I processed I'm it. Sure. I, I had no idea. Yeah. And so um, I was ordered to, you know, you're going to walk the track. You stay with this person. This person walked this way. It's like I was watching a movie that wasn't real. And I was like the lead actor. Wow. It's like, oh, my gosh, what is happening to my life right now? Yeah. So he was, you know, telling me this and whatever. I remember the first night that he put me out there, got dressed. I didn't even do my makeup. Um, the young lady did my makeup and because I, I couldn't look myself in the mirror. I didn't understand what was going on. And um, got out of the car. He said, okay, you go that way. You stay with her. Don't come back. It was about 9.30 that night, approximately 9.30, and, between 9.30 and 10. And our orders were not to come back until 6 a.m. Oh, my goodness. With a quota that was ridiculous. So... Mm-hmm. I just remember getting out and he was like, don't worry. You know, she, she prepped me and she was like, don't look at it. Don't make eye contact with anyone. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. Get in, get out, do what you got to do, do what they say, let them pay you. Never leave without the money. You'll be fine. It was ridiculous. This is Kathy that was raised in church, sure. raised in a good family, yeah. raised in a Christian home. Like I don't, I couldn't even fathom the thought. Like I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Um, like, how did I that get here? Night. Yes. Mm-hmm. How did I get here? And I remember walking that first night and cars pulling up and stopping in front of you and honking. And I would just get in and out of these cars. And, mm-hmm. and it becomes a blur as far as the, the, the rape and the abuse that I endured because I literally had to dissociate myself from reality Certainly. in order to survive. Yeah. I just remember the cycle. I remember asking, you know, just please, like, let the cycle end. Mm. Um, and in that, I just, you know, I, I, I drew away from, from God. Like I couldn't understand why he would let it happen. Mm. Um, but I wasn't mad at God. I was mad at myself. So it was almost like I was afraid to even pray anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like I was afraid to even. The shame of it would keep you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. So I was afraid just to open my mouth to God, but it was crazy. And so hours and hours, and then I, you know, the first time that he really, really hit me was when he gave me instructions to walk with a new girl, and she said that she was going to leave. So I was like, okay. I got back to the room without her, and he would have people following us, but got back to the room without her, and he was like, you were supposed to watch her. Where is she? And then the next thing I know, I'm blacked out. When I woke up, he was kind of standing over me rubbing my face like you know I only did that because I had to you know because if they see me because you're my favorite and if they see me treating you a certain kind of way then they're not going to make the money that I need so you're going to have to take some of these mm-hmm. so that we can get the money that we prom- that I promised you so that we can leave so the whole time he's even he's even you know finessing me then right even oh, man. after you know beating me up he's yep. still like yeah you know but I still love you yeah so it, oh, it was preying on your your vulnerabilities and the things that he knows absolutely. you want to hear to keep you in the game. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so um, that went on um, three months. Actually, turned into nine months. Wow. Okay. Um, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know that it was nine months until after my rescue. Uh, the person that had my children, she kept a journal a diary on me, which is my best friend at the time. She kept a journal on me. So she constantly, he, he kept every date that I was gone. Okay. And that is how I was able to see, oh my gosh, I was gone for wow. for nine months. But and I she kept your son that dog. long. She did. Yeah. Wow. She did. Wow. What a good friend. Wow. 
She did and prayed every night. You know, he even tried to get her to come or, you know, her sister. He tried to get me to recruit so many people. Oh, and there were, there were times that we had to go to the strip club and recruit people. Mm. I remember I would meet young girls and old girls. But, you know, all through that time, even though I couldn't ask God, I was too afraid to ask God to help me. There were times that I was left alone with individuals that would come and I was able to minister to them, mm. you know, and, and, and let them leave. Oh, wow. Um, and provide a way for them to run and to leave. So, yeah, it was like, you yeah, knew you it, couldn't it get crazy. out at that point, but you were going to help those get out before they even got started. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, I remember one young lady came with her children and I was like, why are you here? Young children. And she had, one was still in a car seat and then the other couldn't have been older than two. And I was like, why are you, Mm. why are you here? Mm, and yeah. then she said, because he said he can help me. And I was like, well, what do you like to do? What do you want to do? She's like, well, I know how to sing and I'm good with computers. And I was like, go do that. You can't do this. Yeah. And she just started crying oh and goodness. she got a way out and she left and she ran. And mm. it, it was just amazing what I was able to do while I was there. But eventually all the girls left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was left with just the bottom mm. himself and, um, and me, we were there in the room. And and you were trafficked, this time, at this point, you were trafficked for nine months. Correct. Okay. I was trafficked for nine months. Mm-hmm. And so it was just and y'all still left over? It was just a leftover. And she, um, the bottom, throughout this time, she started to bond with me, which was strange because that doesn't really happen. But she... Behind his back, she would just, you know, tell me all of her secrets. Like, hey, I don't want to do this. I'm tired of doing this. And she would just, we literally bonded behind his back, and he had no idea. Um, and so there was one day when I woke up, and she was screaming, and she was hysterical because she had some mental issues. She had been trafficked since she was about 11 um, from her uncle. That's how she started. And she met him. And he was promised that he would help her, and she got stuck in it again. So it, it was it was totally God that mm. <laughs> it was just us left that she felt safe enough to pour her guts out to me because she was so guarded throughout that. So when I first got there, like I told you, she was mean, she was abusive. Well, then slowly her that guard started to come down, and she just started to cling to me and trust me. And so... Um, Woke up one morning and she was screaming and she was having some kind of mental uh, breakdown. And I actually, that's when my, I don't know, I guess that's the first time that I actually cried out to God in those nine months. I was like, okay, this can't be just mental. Mm. This is something else going on. And so I was able to convince him that we need to get her to a hospital back in Houston. And the only reason why he agreed was because she was out of control to the point where he couldn't control her. Oh, wow. Okay. And... She happened to be the mother of his child. Oh. So that, yeah. So if she was just anyone else, yeah, he probably would have just beat her up and we would have moved on. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't do that because he was totally, everyone knew like in Houston that they left together. They had family. You know what I mean? Yeah, so sure. it was a huge liability for him yeah. not to, you know, get treatment for her. And so I convinced him of that and we came back to Houston and, um, you know, got her safe, and then we went back to the a hotel room in Houston. He was like, okay, well, let's get some rest so we can get back to work. <laughs> and then I started to have a breakdown of some sort, um, which Ooh. mimicked 
the same kind of experience he had just went through, which by that, by then he was just totally exhausted and he was just like, this is bringing too much attention to me. Um, this is crazy. Yeah. And so miraculously I was able to, in the midst of me kind of breaking down, um, threw on my phone and he called a number that happened to be my brother and my brother came and got me. Wow. The hotel, my brother and his wife came and got me from the hotel room that day. Yeah. And I just remember my brother walking in and I, you know, he telling me, Kathy, I still wasn't a hundred percent myself. And he's like whispering in my ear, Kathy, Jesus loves you. You have to do this for your kids. Mm. And he said my kids names and he just Aww. kept saying, you have to say Jesus, try to say Jesus. And Aww. I remember it was so difficult for me to try to say Jesus. And this, this whole time that this is happening, he's still there. My Trafficker is still in the room witnessing really? all of this. Oh wow! Whew. Yeah, and so he, um, my brother was just like, "You have to say Jesus," and I just began to speak the name of Jesus, and it was so hard. And finally, I said it, and I just felt a peace when I was finally able to say it. I said it about three times, and mm. I felt this peace of God, wow. like you're okay, you're okay now. Yeah, and I got up with my brother and my sister-in-law and I walked out of that room and mm. never looked back. Wow. I mean, I, I would love to say that he didn't try to contact me even after that, you know, well, like, that's hey, what I was going to say. I'm surprised he let y'all like leave. Yeah. Well, he was overpowered by then. Um, that's how I know. I tell people my escape, <laughs> you know, it didn't, it didn't involve vice. It didn't involve a, a bunch of cops. Mm-hmm. It literally involved God and a bunch of angels that mm. he couldn't fight. Yeah, it couldn't powerful. couldn't fight it, hmm. and so um, he was kind of stuck and confused. And after that, though, yeah, he did. He even tried to use that. And that was a crazy, you know, experience. You know, churchy is what he called it because he wasn't spiritual at all. But he's like, that was a <laughs> was you know, churchy. crazy churchy experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, well, we went through this together. You know, we're made to be together. He still he just went back in oh, to boy. try to get me. And he's like, we need to go back to Dallas and finish, but. By the grace of God, I, I was able to eventually just end all contact. Okay. I went back home and I was safe and um, I never reported it mm-hmm. because I didn't know what it was. Sure. Yeah. I, I didn't know that I had been trafficked. I thought I was just in a really messed up relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, it took me a while after my rescue, the restoration process to realize, oh my gosh, this happened to me. And um, never saw any of the money, never saw anything. Mm. I just know that I was grateful to walk out breathing and living because a lot of the girls that we were down there with never, I never saw them again. I never knew what happened to them. Right. When they got in trouble, they would leave for punishment and they would never come back. So I'm just grateful that Mm. I'm alive. Yeah. I am too. Wow. That is amazing. And then, so what, what did it look like from there? Did you you know, begin to understand what it was, you know, be able to identify yourself as a survivor of trafficking? Did you begin therapy or did you just kind of take some time just to be with your family? What did that look like? Yeah, my restoration process in the beginning looked like pretending. I I didn't know who to talk to and I didn't know. I felt so ashamed. Mm. I didn't know who to believe. Even my brother and my sister, like, like I never told them what I was actually doing. You know, they thought that I was caught up in some, you know, romance situation and then I had a nervous breakdown and they came and got me that's Mm -hmm. the brunt of it yeah and um so I just literally started pretending 
what did normal look like? Mm-hmm. Okay, people are smiling at church. Let me smile. Okay, people are doing this. Let me do this. So I did everything I could to try to cover up what what I was really going through. And inside I was screaming because I just didn't know how. I, I didn't know how to tell anyone. Yeah, for know? sure. So, I think so then I just started really writing and the book came about or whatever. But I just it started, my book started as a journal because I didn't have any other outlet. Started mm-hmm. writing what happened to me and then... After the book, and it took <laughs> my restoration process took seven years. And so Before you could I'm, be an outspoken advocate as you are now. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I'm even Before wondering, been, do you have fear now being an outspoken advocate and talking about what he did? Do you have fears in that? Is he, you know, looking for you? Or are you afraid of? Because a lot of the other survivors that I know, that's such a fear. They don't want to. Be taken yeah. out because they're talking about it and because that that was a thing i was very afraid at first i would look everywhere um but now i don't have that fear because i know who I, identity helps me mm-hmm. with that fear mm-hmm. i know who i am i know that i can't be you know taken out like that because i'm i'm covered by the blood of jesus and so yeah. if there's just there's just something that is in me that's fearless now, cautious, that's a different thing. Okay. I won't put, I won't put, you know, my kids in situations if I go speak or whatever, I won't put them in, you know, dangerous situations. And if I do any recovery work, I'm totally undercover. But they're triggers, you know, like, because I did, you know, I saw him recently on social media and he's still Ooh. doing the same thing and he has okay. new girls. And so it's like, when I saw that, I, I freaked out and I had to like get off of social media for like three months. Okay. Um, yeah. Because it, it just totally freaked me out. And he knowing that he was still in the same city as me. I thought that he was long gone from what I heard. I thought that he was in another state, mm. but knowing that he was back in Texas, I, you know, I kind of was nervous and I guess you would say fearful at, for a moment, but I had to look back and realize all the work that I've done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. how far oh, yeah. I've come. Yeah. Um, and so I can't live in fear. I yeah. can't. Yeah. And yeah. I just refuse to. I, so I think for me, that's a choice. Can it happen? Can he get mad enough and say, you know, whatever? Yeah, it can. But I can't live in fear. I choose not to live in fear. There's just no way. Yeah, and you're living in your purpose now. And so that is, that's stronger than the fears. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. How did you know? So you went through this long healing process and restoration. And, um, you know, obviously faith has played a big role in your healing. How did you know you know, around that seven year mark that it was time for you to be a part of the solution now. I remember I was sharing my experience, my story with someone, um, because it was at work actually, this happened. Um, and there was a young lady that my coworker at the time, and she just came up to me and she was expressing her relationship problems and just, you know, she was in a domestic violence situation. And I just, it's just like the opportunity was there. Like, Hey girl, (laughs) let me tell you, this is real this is what I went through. And immediately she was falling. We were standing there falling on the clock at work. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, you don't know how you just saved my life. You have no idea. And she got out of that situation and she changed and she got help. That's when I knew, oh my God, this story, this testimony, what I went through wasn't for me. <laughs> I thought it was just for me. Yeah. And that's when it clicked. It's like, no, mm-hmm. um, God was, you know, Specifically, he told me, he's like, this, I brought you out, but mm. this isn't for you. This is my testimony. This is my glory. 
I get this. So you have to go through it. And I, and I, you know, I saved you through it. I was with you, protected you, but I need you to go help everyone else. And so that's when I started, I started sharing one at a time, you know, individual, on an individual basis, whoever I thought needed to hear it. Mm, That's so good. And then that's how it kind of got started. Just, okay, I'm going to speak. And the more, Mm. the more I got like, you know, the inboxes and the emails and the text messages saying, you know, thank you. Like I was going through this. Nobody knew, nobody will ever know, but between you and I, you helped me. Mm. That's, that's my motivation and my inspiration to keep sharing. Yeah. And it just built up from there. I think there's so many survivors that come to us or, you know, talk to me after I speak and they say, I want to do that. And you know, where do I start? And I think it's just like what you said, you know, it starts with one person and then the next and then the next and it builds and God will use you if you're willing to be that light for him. Absolutely. You have to say yes. You have to, it's a sacrifice because it's always very painful to go back to those places. But, Mm. um, you know, if you say yes to him, he'll protect you and he'll guide you through it and he'll open up the doors. And so I'm wondering, yeah. like that led you to become a playwright. That's such a cool title to have, <laughs> I think. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously the the arts so has the- been really influential in your healing process. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I've always been a creative. And so um, writing, like I said, was my way of, okay, I'm just going to write this thing out. And I wrote poetry and I wrote everything about what happened to me without anyone even knowing. Um, And so the play for me, um, I just wanted a way for people to see it because I would get questions. The more I spoke about it, the more people, you know, those questions, those very personal questions, like, so what exactly did it feel like? And what did it, do you have any memory of like smells and what exactly did he say and what kept you in that position and it's kind of hard to understand if you're not a survivor it's hard and as much as you know survivors speak there's no way we can find enough words to tell you (laughs) there's just not there's not enough words to say okay this is exactly what happened so that I can make you understand so for me the play was like let me provide a visual let me provide a way for people to watch and connect and so we did the play the first time the book became the play and we did the play the very first time and I remember the response that we received like oh my gosh I get it now you couldn't have left because he was such a jerk and you know the actors actors, and so it's so different to be immersed in like a movie yeah absolutely absolutely and that's what we'll be working on next is the film but that's mm-hmm. kind of my thing. I've always been a creative. I've always loved the arts. I've always loved writing and poetry and film and plays. Yeah. And so but it's a healing for me as well. Certainly. Constant healing. Yeah. Um, to yeah. be able to express in my lane. That's my kind of like my creative language. And so that's what it is for me. So, it, yeah, and eventually just you, you were carving out the time to be able to express through the arts through writing and all right. of that. And, yeah, it found its own place where it was actually helping other people, not just you again. Right. That's really cool. That's exactly right. Oh, wow. And then from there, you're now a program director for Elijah Rising. Yes. And I'm so honored. So, so, so happy. Um, Elijah Rising is an anti-trafficking organization in Houston. And I, for a long time, I was writing and doing the plays. Um, but I was still working at, you know, as a paralegal and just working my way through life. And then <laughs> I was I was still volunteering with anti-trafficking organizations. So I was volunteering with Elijah Rising before I was actually brought on board um, because I always wanted to connect mm-hmm. with women with that, that are walking, you know, the same thing that I walk. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I have to go back, not only through the arts or through um, public speaking or whatever, but I really want to ha- sit down and like have coffee and give hugs. So <laughs> I've always been a volunteer. 
And so when the op- when the opportunity you know came available, he reached out to me, and I was like, yes, of course. And so I'm so honored to be a part of the team because program directing is like the direct access, the, the right. direct care. So oh, yeah. I yeah. am able to sit down and listen, you know, be the sounding board and you know be the mediator and whatever, be the friend. And so it's mm. totally my calling and I'm, I'm really, really happy. That's about really neat. It. And you know, I, as I was thinking about your position there, you know, at an actual home for survivors who are in recovery, I'm wondering, you've been in the life and yeah. you know, from our perspective at One Voice for Freedom, we see so many survivors returning to the life even after a rescue. And I'm sure you see that too. And I'm wondering yeah. from someone who's been there and gets it and knows that, how do you stay hopeful for these women that, that you're helping, you know, that that they can remain free? Or how do you um, help them even make that decision? Just being as real, remembering what I went through, right? And my story is my story. It can't be you know, any other survivor's story because every survivor's story is very unique. But I also remember those times. Um, yeah, I have a wonderful redemption story, but... You know, within those seven years of restoration, I went back, I went to a strip club um, because I, I, I wanted to be around, I wanted that attention. I, I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know what oh, it was yeah. that I needed. I dated men after that that were horrible. So I was still in the life. Oh, yeah. Like, not in the life, but I was still in the life mm-hmm. trying to get out. So there were, there were times that it was hard. It was so hard for me to get out and I couldn't understand it, but I had to break that mental bondage. Mm -hmm. Um, That had to be broken first. I had to change my mindset. And so when I see, when I work with individuals that, you know, may run or, you know, they they don't understand what rescue is completely. It's just that I remain hopeful for them because I went through it. So I don't care if they run five times. I know what it meant. I know I may not have went back to a trafficker, mm. but I was still being trafficked mentally. Yeah. I, and I couldn't identify. So until you found your identity, and it took patience. Mm. And so. And that's what they need. They need women, patience, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. Patience and patience. hope having, and non judgment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Non judgment is so big. Um, traffickers are one thing that keeps survivor voices silent or you know keep them from feeling that they can't speak but then the other side of it is judgment Mm -hmm. so it's like you have your trafficker that you're scared to speak up against but then if you do you're going to be judged by society who's supposed to welcome you with open arms yeah so why speak i'm just going to be quiet and so that's one of the main things is that you know we all have trauma my trauma may look different from anyone else's but we've all been through something so i think we just need to you know, especially within the anti-trafficking community, just really, really look at the individuals as individuals, as people. Don't mm-hmm. look at the event. Don't look at the event. Yeah, okay, she was trafficked. Don't even look at it like that. Yeah. She's been through something. Look at the layers. Um, look at the root <laughs> of the problem, yes. not necessarily the event yeah. that happened. So. Mm-hmm. Look beneath the surface. That's so good. And even in right. talking about that, you know, I, I'm thinking about the root and what were the vulnerabilities that these traffickers prey on? You know, I think you would agree they're master psychologists. And, they are master psychologists. Yeah. yeah. And and they know exactly what to say, what to do, where to take you, who to pin you up against, yeah. like all these things. So I'm sure you've looked at what your vulnerabilities were, your fears, um, 
the the oh, roots. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say so, to other girls out there who may be vulnerable to the same type of grooming, the same type of tricks of traffickers? What would you say to them to help them be more aware to not find themselves in a similar situation? You know, I would say that you have to work on your identity first, because if you don't, that's what he's there for. That's what he's coming in to do. He's yeah. coming in to shape mm-hmm. your identity. So we have to be honest with ourselves. As you remember, as I was sharing my story, I said, well, yeah, I didn't have any security. I feel like I did, you know, <laughs> yeah. but we have to, we have to understand that, Hey, if you do have an, everyone has insecurities. And so we can't just push sweep them under the rug. My dad left and that hurt me. Mm. But instead of saying, Hey mom, I may need help for this. I swept it under the rug, like, oh, I'm fine. I have a happy home. And we, that's how I like to tell my story, because that's how I felt right. <laughs> yeah. at the time, not knowing that the fact that a, a fatherless home was going to come back to haunt me, mm-hmm. because I was, never, I was never honest with myself about what it felt like. Even, even after high school, I would really, really, you know, just advise women to dig deep into their identity, find that you have to get to know yourself. You have to, what do I love? What are my, what are my strengths so that you can identify your weak points before someone else does. Mm, that's great. Yeah. I think with just the yeah. social media world right now, it's even harder, you know, than when you were younger because these yeah. guys are out yeah. there. They have such strong access to young girls who are vulnerable and right. they're preying on those vulnerabilities so easily um, because they have more access. Yeah. And I think, gosh, we've just got to equip young women, especially with what you said, just the strong identity, the understanding of their vulnerabilities and not being vulnerable and strengthening their self-esteem right. and all of those things that we've got to pour into them. It's so we have important. To. And I think it's our responsibility as um, like survivor leaders that you know, the ones that can't do it for themselves, that's what we have to go back and do mm. for prevention. Just mm-hmm. kind of let them know who they are and help them identify, you know, who they are and their strengths and their weaknesses. And, and then with knowing their selves, they will be able to see through any facade that comes in the form of, oh, I love you or, oh, you're beautiful. Um, they'll be able to see through it for themselves. That's really, really good. Yeah, I agree. Do you ever talk to parents? I'm wondering, even for parents who are listening, you know, that they're like, what are, how can we help protect our daughters more? How can we help them um, to be aware of these situations? What can they do? Do you have any tips for them? Yeah, the main thing that I tell parents is never ignore the signs. The grooming process looks like teenage, you know, like regular teenage years. That's how it looks. Yeah. You know, first they, they intoxicate you, they isolate you, they desensitize you, and then they capitalize. If you look at any teenage child in high school right now, they're going to argue with their parents. They're going to have new friends. They might even try alcohol. They may, may even dip into some drugs, whatever the case may be. Those are all normal teenage signs. Right. But they're also signs of someone that is being groomed. So if you're child has a change in behavior or change in friends, no matter how small, no matter how big, you have to pay attention to it. Yeah, Don't you just can't just do the, and- the whole chalk it up to teenage behavior. Like you've got yeah. to have yeah. your eyes open and being intentional about your questions and looking into things in the world that we live in now. You have to be intentional. So why are you hanging with this new friend? 
I have never met this new friend. Why, why are you in your room now? Why are you on the phone so much? Question them. Be in their business. And it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but you have to be. I've had so many parents that, in hindsight, they're just like, I wish I would have looked at the phone. This is how my daughter was recruited. And so we hear so many stories like that. And then just another thing that I would say is to talk about it. You know, trafficking, sexual abuse, all that stuff over dinner. <laughs> instead of talking about the weather and whatever, then we're going to be blindsided by it. So it gets icky. And I know that people don't like to talk about it. And, you know, we don't want to keep everything negative. So maybe even just choose a time where, like, okay, let's, we're going to have real talk. <laughs> it's not going to be nice. But let's yeah. just get it over with. Yeah. You know? So simple education. Even, even if you say, okay, it's never going to happen to me, that's great. And we pray that it will never happen to you or your child or your family. But at least you know. Right. Right. Now we can never have too much knowledge. Yeah, I'm all about that. Knowledge is power. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, this was so good talking to you. I know you are in the midst of a, a busy work day down there in Houston with Elijah <laughs> rising. And we don't want to keep you from those survivors who need you. Um, but where could people, you know, get more information about how they can come alongside or, or learn about um, your films or the things that you're doing, your book? I can be found at KathyMcGibbon.com. My website is K-A-T-H-Y-M-C-G-I-B-B-O-N.com. And then also you can follow ElijahRising.org to see the many things that we're doing here in Houston as well. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you guys for having me join this morning. I love, I love what you guys are doing. I'm grateful to join you guys this morning. It's amazing. Well, bless you, friend. And we'll hope to be in touch with you again soon. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.